And I've been amazed at, at all the connections, uh, even though this is the first time I've been here. Chuck and Melanie were in Jasper in a time when we were in that area preaching as well, and awesome people, loved them and loved their family, great representation of the truth there. And Kyle and Wendy have known them for a long time, and Daryl, uh, his family was in Cordova at a time when we were at, in the Jasper area. His dad had a, t had a radio program that came on each morning, Help on the Way to Heaven, and it was a five-minute program, and, and Steve could say more in five minutes than almost anybody that, that I could think of. Occasionally, I would be on Sixth Avenue's program after that, would get to hear that, but love and appreciate that family. Places that have been called in my memory from Haleville to Hubbardville to Hackleburg to Jasper to so many other places. Good to see Wes and, and love working with him and PTP and, and other things and so many others of you that I've got to meet and just appreciate the good church here. It's, it's a church building that literally sits on a hill. Jesus talked about that a little bit in Matthew chapter 5. And, and it's my prayer and it's my hope and, and praise that, that you'll be that church, not just that the building is set on the hill, but you would be that light shining for other people. I want to mention to you just by personal, or maybe you can use it congregationally, one of my favorite preachers was named V.P. Black, and he did a lot of work on stewardship, and he did a lot of work in books that he wrote, and there are at least six of them that I know that I was able to find in print recently. If you're looking for something for your personal stewardship that would really help you grow, i uh, be glad to give you this book or information about how to get these books. This one's entitled My God and My Money. He's written other books uh, entitled Rust as a Witness, Giving Our Way to Prosperity. Lord, teach us how to give, giving versus getting, and the proof of your love. So if you're looking for something personally or if you're looking for something wherein that as a congregation you can study, I, I highly recommend those to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I hope you can locate that in your copy of God's inspired word. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we noticed one verse in there this morning, but the chapter begins about the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. A lot of controversy then, a lot of controversy now. And then Paul goes on to talk just about the resurrection of the dead of us. And then if you drop down toward the end of the chapter and get down to about verse number 50, he's talking about what happens. A lot of people wonder, what does happen when this life is over? It's obvious that this life ends. A good friend of mine, brother in the Lord, that served as an elder, passed away uh, suddenly this past Thursday as a result of a heart attack. And so the percentages of, of leaving this life by means of death are, are 100% unless we're here when the Lord comes again. But what happens? 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 50. I tell you this, brothers... Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. Anytime you hear that word mystery, what is it? There's excitement. Well, what's the mystery? What are you talking about? Well, all not, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed for the perishable body must put on imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass a saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? 
The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. And here's the verse we mentioned this morning. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Any lesson that has worth or has value it carries at least some similar characteristics. There's information, hopefully there's explanation, and then out of that explanation there's inspiration, and then the finality of that is application. That's what I want us to talk about tonight. What is the application of this concept of stewardship and being better stewards and, and how we use our time and how we use our talents and how we ultimately use our money for the Lord. Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 20, a faithful man shall abound with blessings. That leads us into verse 58 where Paul says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, because we will be resurrected again, because there is a resurrection of the dead, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. I hate doing things that are worthless. I hate doing things that turn out to be vain. But he makes a promise here that when we're steadfast, when we're immovable, when we're always abounding in the work of the Lord, that labor, that work, that effort is not in vain. In Proverbs, or rather Romans chapter 15 and verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that the power of the Holy Spirit may abound in hope. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 12, Paul's prayer was this. And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love toward one another and toward all men even as we do toward you. Romans chapter 15 and verse 13 reminds us that we are to abound in hope. Always abounding. Those are the two words that we really want to focus on this evening. And the first thing that I want us to notice are some attributes about always and some attributes about abounding. You think about the word always, there's a consistency there. That's one of the great challenges in my life is to be consistent. It's not that difficult to do good things sometimes. It's not that hard to get fired up about things sometimes. But there is a real challenge in doing things that are good and doing things in abundance consistently. I'll go ahead and warn you, what I'm about to bring up is a bad subject, and we're already into June, so probably a lot of that has been forgotten. But January the 1st is a wonderful time for that four-letter word, isn't it? D-I-E-T, diet. Oh, I'm going to do good, and I'm not going to eat this, and I'm not going to eat that, and I'm going to exercise. You know how the gyms and the exercise places are. In January, maybe early February, you can scarcely find a spot to work out. But by March or April, May or now for sure, you can have any machine any time of the day, can't you? Why is that? Well, because consistency is a great challenge. And, and maybe we can think about other areas in our life where we made a commitment and we made a promise and, and we said, here's what I'm going to do. One of the things that God looks for and God seeks in our life is he seeks consistently or seeks us to be consistent. And in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, be steadfast, immovable, 
always. But he doesn't just say always. He says always abounding to the extreme, top notch, very best. You see, there's another level of challenge that's placed in the abundance or the abounding of our consistency. I mentioned school this morning, and I didn't mention it a whole lot. You know the grading system of, of A through F. Sometimes the letter C can stand for celebrate, can it? But generally speaking, if we're capable, that's not where we want to be. We want to be at the top level that we can achieve abounding. There's a lot about our society that says just do enough to get by. Just, just meet the minimum requirements and, and that's good enough. And while that may be found in society, it's never found in the Word of God. God didn't just get by in the gift that He gave gives us and gave us. God doesn't just get by in the things that he does for us now. And this concept of abounding and this concept of the combination, I'm doing it consistently and I'm not just doing enough to get by. No wonder Paul's challenge to the Corinthians was such an important challenge both then and now. Always in good stewardship abounding in good stewardship. And we could talk about that in every arena, in every area of our spiritual life that they have these attributes. But secondly, I want us to notice the association of grace and giving. We think about them sometimes in separate terms and, and we'll talk about giving and we'll talk about grace. But it's amazing when we begin to study how carefully and how consistently they are joined together. In Romans chapter 6, the question was asked in verse 1, well, should we just keep on sinning so that grace may abound? Properly understood, grace is one of the most precious words in the English language. And especially as we understand sin and the penalty for sin and righteousness and the love of God and the forgiveness of God of the things that we treasure, grace is high up on that list. And no, Paul says, we don't just sin more so that there can be more grace that abounds for us. God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? In 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 7, Paul says, even... As you abound in everything. There's our word abound. He said in faith and word and knowledge and in earnestness and in your love to us. See that you abound in this grace also. The grace he's talking about there is stewardship. And particularly here the giving or the gifting to other people. I know how I want that on the reception end. I love the abundance of grace. But if I'm going to be like my Lord, I need to understand that it's just as important for that abundance to be on the giving end as well as the reception. I learned a long time ago in relation to spiritual matters, I do not want justice. I don't want what I deserve because what I deserve is what Jesus took upon the cross for me. And he took that for you. 
But I want grace. I appreciate grace. And there's a sense in which, as I look at other people, I've got to get past justice as well. Well, they deserve this, or they deserve that, or they don't deserve this, or they don't deserve that. And then I pull the mirror, James chapter 1, out, and I say, whoa, I, I don't want this thing called justice in the reception, nor should I be that concerned about the grace and the abundance of grace in my stewardship as well. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, just one chapter over, and in verse 8, God is able. We think about all the things that God is able to do. It's mind-boggling. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. I don't know how to fully explain it. I'm not sure I can half explain it. But I know this through experience. That every time we seek to abound in grace, and in the grace of liberality and stewardship, whether it be toward the church or those that are in need, whatever scoop we use, to distribute, God has a bigger one that He distributes to us. A lot of us have been blessed by godly parents or, or grandparents or, or great-grandparents or aunts or uncles or, or other people that have had a tremendous impact in my life. My great-grandmother used to say, oh, so often, you can't outgive God. You can't outgive God and how true she was. And in this association of grace and giving, I'm not looking to balance the scales because I don't want the scales balanced on my behalf. What I'm looking to do is above and beyond. I'm looking to do always and abounding with the understanding of the motivation of grace. Thirdly, I want us to take a note of the attitude that is present. The attitude that is present in regard to our stewardship. There are some things that we do in life just because we have to. And given the choice, we would not do them. And that's okay. There are some things in life that we have to do maybe at our job or maybe through laws of the land or whatever, that are not particularly necessary in order to go to heaven other than the fact that we're to obey those that have authority over us. But there are some things that we could just leave alone and we do them only because we have to do them and our attitude certainly doesn't give an A plus when we do them. But it can't be true if we're going to please God in this sense. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18 the message by Peter is this, to grow in grace. Physically, there comes a time when we stop growing, at least height-wise. And sometimes we wish we could stop growing, but that's another subject for another day. But when we think about our spirituality, there's never the time that we ought to feel, well, I've arrived, I'm here, I'm complete, I'm whole. There's no greater upside grow in grace am I a better steward than I was a year ago 
five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, depending on where you're at in the life cycle. And I don't mean, can I look and see how much more money I put in the plate? That may or may not have a bearing on it. But in my use of my time and my abilities and what God's blessed me with, what about my attitude toward those? Is it beyond? Is this enough? Is it beyond? Is this what I have to do? Do I meet the minimum requirements? Have I grown to the point where, God, I thank you that you've given me this gift so that I can in turn share with other people? Philippians chapter 1 and verse 9. And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more. You see, love's a lot about attitude, isn't it? It's not about, well, you're my family member, so I have to love you. Or you're my brother in the Lord, and I have to love you. Or you're my neighbor, and I have to love you. Or you're my enemy, and I have to love you. It's the attitude of, there's opportunity here. And there's blessings that God bestows both on the giver and the receiver in the arena of stewardship. And he says, I'm not content with what you're doing. You know, I've read passages that tell us there is to be content. Having food and clothes, therewith be content. But there are other areas that, that we don't need to be content. And stewardship certainly is one of those wherein I want to grow. I want to abound more and more. Not so someone will brag on me. Not some, so someone will look and say, wow, that's a great thing that you did. But so that I can do two things. So that I can please my God and so that I can bless those that are around me. It's not mine. It all belongs to me. Not just the cattle on a thousand hills. But every cow in the world belongs to God. Every dollar in the world belongs to God. Every person in the world belongs to God. And I want to abound that attitude. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 7, he speaks of abounding with thanksgiving. When's the last time I've paused and prayed, God, thank you for blessing me with this so that I can bless someone else. So that I can bless the church. So that I can bless mission work. So that I can bless other things that are good and right and wholesome. God, thank you for giving me the privilege of being able to share with other people mentioned this morning in Bible class, and I want to mention again for the sake of interest, there are many, many dangers, many, many temptations in life, but self-centeredness is one of the biggest dangers and temptations in our life. And focusing on me versus focusing upon God and upon other people is a tremendous danger any point, any place, any time in my life, when I become unself-centered, when I become unselfish, when I look not on my own things, as Paul talks about in Philippians, but upon the things of others, my attitude is then such that God will bless me, God will allow me, God will enable me to be a greater servant. And oh, by the way, didn't Jesus promise something in Luke chapter 6 and verse 38? Give, and you'll have less. It's not what that verse says. 
He said, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will men give to you. That's not even talking about the blessings that God has in store for us. The fourth thing I want us to consider in regard to always abounding is that there is an absence of excuse. There's an ab- there is no way that I can logically, spiritually say, well, I would be a good steward, but... Remember all of the excuses that were made when Jesus or or the Master made or gave an invitation for people to come to a supper? First of all, in my head, I can't imagine turning down food. But secondly, here were people that came up with all kinds of excuses. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 2 is Paul is, is encouraging good stewardship. He said, I want you to know that in much testing of trouble, the overflowing of their joy and the depth of their poverty. Now, if anybody should be excused from stewardship, it should be people that are living in poverty. And yet, here's the group that he mentions about poverty, and he says this, that they gave the minimum so they wouldn't know. He said they abounded And not only do they abound to the riches of their generosity. To whom much is given, much shall be required. But to whom little is given, things are required as well. And he said, here are people that most folks probably would have just given a pass and say, whoa, you you people have enough troubles of your own. Don't you worry about trying to be a good steward and helping other people. They refuse that. They refuse that mindset. And he said, they abounded our word to the riches of their generosity. In Mark chapter 12, Jesus recalls an account where he was observing people that were putting money into the treasury. And among the things he says in regard to that, he says that many that were rich cast in much. And that wasn't a bad thing. He wasn't being critical of what they did. If we have much, we should give much. But he said, here's one person I want to point out. It wasn't the person that gave the greatest amount, but it was a poor widow. And he said, she has put in more than all those that were contributing. Now, not dollar and cents wise, not in that financial arena, but he said, she gave all that she had. You know the story. What are the things that impress us about the story? Obviously her faith is so impressive. Obviously the fact that she wanted to do what she could even if it didn't match up with what somebody else gave. But the fact that she didn't excuse herself. She didn't just say, well, if I wasn't a poor widow, I tell you what, if I had what some of this group or this group or that group, if I had that, I'd put, have you ever heard people talk like that? I tell you what, if I had a million dollars, I'd give half of it to the church. Would you? Would I? What am I giving on what I've got now? If I'm not giving half what I've got now, the likelihood of me giving half of that to the church is probably not real great. But here was a lady that had such faith in God and wanted to make a contribution so bad that she didn't look around, she looked within. 
And that's where stewardship starts. It doesn't look, we don't look around. It's not competition. Well, can I give more financially? Can I do more in good deeds? Can, can I make better use of my time than somebody else? This is not a competition. This is about what has God blessed me with? And how can I ultimately use that? And maybe, maybe I don't have more than I have now because I haven't done well stewardship-wise with what God has given me. Maybe not. In Acts chapter 3 and verse 6, a man's lame and he's at the gate of the temple and he's asking for alms. Peter and John come by and he's hoping he can't work. They'll give him something. And I've kind of tried to put my mind into his mind when he hears these words. We don't have any silver and gold. I can almost see him looking on to the next person and saying, well, okay, not getting anything here. Who's next? Peter says, such as we have such as I have I give you in the name of the Lord Jesus of Nazareth rise up and walk you know the rest of the story the man leaped and walked and praised God Peter and John had the opportunity to talk to a lot of people about Jesus some of the people didn't like it they were reprimanded for what they did but it all began because they didn't have any money and if you're sitting here tonight thinking well I don't have a lot of money it's okay Peter and John didn't have a lot of money but what they had, they gave. What about my time? What about my abilities? There's some people, and I don't know who they are, but there's some people in your life, and I do know some of the ones in my life, that tomorrow morning you could offer them $100 or you could offer them 15 minutes worth of conversation, and they take the conversation every single time. Why is that? Because they're lonely because they may not talk to anyone else tomorrow, because they may have something on their heart and on their mind that they need to share with someone else. Silver and gold, I don't have any. So it's not about being in the top 10% of the net worth of financial people in the country and the world. It's about what do I have? How am I ultimately going to use it? And finally, the action that will result when I'm always abounding, when I have the attitude of gratitude toward God and toward His kingdom and His people. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse number 1. For the rest then, my brothers, we beseech and exhort you in the Lord Jesus as you've received from us how you ought to walk and please God so that you would abound more and more. There's certain areas of life we just can't seem to get enough of. Maybe our favorite dessert. Maybe fishing. Maybe hunting. Maybe golfing. Maybe surfing the net. It may be shopping for bargains. It may be, you fill in the blank. But there's certain things that just, there's never enough. We can't get fully satisfied. Oh, to God that it would be that way in our stewardship. That we're never satisfied. We're thankful. But it's okay. So God bless me with these opportunities today. Lord, please give me that many or, or, or more tomorrow. So that I might abound in this way. Yes, I got a job promotion and a pay raise. And, and now I'm able to give more to the church. I'm able to give more to other good works. Thank you, God, for that promotion, that opportunity. God, you've blessed me with this ability. And I've had opportunities to use it. And you've given me more. And, and thank you for that. 
In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 3, we're bound to thank God. Always for you, my brothers, as it is right, because your faith grows exceedingly and the love of each one of you toward another abounds. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 58. After talking about the victory in verse 57, he encourages us, challenges us, motivates us to hold on. How many people are not sitting in pews around you that one time did? And they've not gone on to their reward. They've just left. They've left the kingdom. They've left the body. They've left hope. They've left security. They left peace. They left forgiveness. And yet, how many of those could we reach out to? Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that our labor in the Lord is not in vain. I hope our time's been well spent today in reminding ourselves about stewardship, how that it all belongs to God, and He lovingly, carefully gives to us blesses us and the time that we have the abilities the opportunity the money it all belongs to him i didn't come to tell you today to increase your financial contribution on sunday if you need to do that you ought to do that i didn't come today to tell you to double your financial contributions on sunday i don't know what you make i don't know what you give and i didn't come about that but i did come to encourage all of us, to take a good look inward and to be grateful and to be thankful for the way that God has blessed us and to make sure that our minds are attuned and that our eyes are spiritually open to the opportunities. We're blessed in a lot of ways in the Lord's church. And I don't believe we've reached capacity I don't believe we've reached the epitome of what we're able to do, but I think with God's help and with our love and by being consistent, by always abounding in the work of the Lord, in the work of stewardship, our lives will be blessed. The church will be blessed. The Lord's cause will receive glory and praise. And people that otherwise were not headed toward heaven will be because we do a good job with, with what God has blessed us with. We close our thoughts this evening. Extend the invitation of Jesus Christ. There are needs in your life that, that we can help you with. If you're not a Christian, as we pointed out this morning, you're missing out on all the spiritual blessings because they're in Christ Jesus. You can enter this place this evening with none and leave with all. If you're willing to turn from your sins, confess Jesus to be God's Son, be baptized, for the forgiveness of your sin. Maybe our thoughts have encouraged, motivated, generated things in our mind that, that we need to make some changes in our life about this area of stewardship. And, and hopefully as, as we pray about those things, God will certainly do His part. It may be that you need the prayers of this church. It may be that you need the prayers for forgiveness or prayers for strength, whatever way that we can help. If you'll let us know now as we stand together and as we sing.